0: Welcome to episode nine of the NP Dude. This is Jeff giving nurse practitioners a voice. Got a couple things I want to go through today and it's really just kind of a cleanup for the end of the week. It's a Sunday show. So it's just kind of killing some time in between things and looking on Facebook and seeing some questions there and some things that have been kind of sitting in the back pocket for the week. And I wanted to make sure that I got them out there before I forgot about them or or moved on to something else. Um, The first thing I want to talk about and I'll get right into it, is a question that came up on Facebook, and it was regarding payment structure for NPs. And I see this question all the time on the Facebook forums, and, and it, it's, it's almost as varied as the geographic questions that I've talked about in the past with respect to um, uh, how salaries are and, and how um, negotiating contracts can be. And it just depends right that 's the the good answer it depends but when you when you 're looking at payment structure reimbursement structure as a nurse practitioner there 's a bunch of different ways that can happen and and it just depends really where you are so if you 're in an area that 's really <clears throat> focused on the medical model and treats their practitioners like physicians then you'll typically see a base salary plus some kind of uh, bonus structure. And and I hesitate hesitate to say bonus structure because I really want to try to get the, the, the language right for people because when you say bonus, a bonus as an attorney to me is saying it's something extra that isn't mandatory. So when you say, oh, you got a bonus, that means, well, that was a nice extra thing because the year everybody did good. And if you use that language in a contract, then you're, you're making it more easily changed to an uh, optional thing. And that really depends on how it's written in the wording of the contract. So I understand that. But the, the, again, I'm going to say it again, and I always say it is the words matter. And, and, and in this instance, it's one of those things that try to avoid using the word bonus when you're doing these negotiations with people, just say it's not a bonus structure. It's part of my salary, and I'll go through and explain a little bit more here in a second. So that's more like the medical model, and then you've got on the far end of the spectrum, you've got like in Northeast Ohio, it's not as accepted that way. It, you can find a couple of places that do it, but most of them are based upon you're a salaried employee, and they want you as like an uh, an RN that can happen to write prescriptions. Is a lot of the 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 healthcare facilities in my area look at us that way. So when I was brand new, which I'm new, but I'm not brand new. And I was negotiating with certain, certain offices about, uh, employment. When I was talking to him about giving me the opportunity for some kind of a, a base pay plus incentive program. And that's how I would try to say it. It's an incentive program to see more patients based on the number that you see above. Um, they, they all kind of laughed at me. I mean, I had a couple that were like, oh, yeah, we might, we might talk about that. But in reality, it just depends on where you are geographically. So that being said, when you when you are brand new, and the one person that made a comment was, I am the first NP in this area, in this facility, and I don't know what to ask for, and I don't know how to structure it. And that's a great answer right there, is you don't know, and I wouldn't know, and nobody else in... in practice is going to be able to give you guidance on it because you just don't know. So here's my recommendation to you make a, a contract or a term of employment or a condition of your employment that after so many months you're going to evaluate together and come up with a plan on what your salary for the next so many, whatever it is, is going to be. So here's what I w- was trying to do when I was trying to negotiate. I was trying to do a one year contract with a promise in the contract that said, at year one, we'll evaluate all of my, my revenue that I brought in, all of my billings, all of my codes that I, you know, my nine nine two one threes versus what one twos or whatever, and come up with some plan based upon my productivity, how many patients I saw, all that good stuff. So that's what I was trying to do. And most everybody looked at me like I had two heads and said, no, we're not going to do that. Here's what you're going to get. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not working for you um, to a lot of them because I didn't want to do that deal. And it showed me that they weren't willing to respect me, to be honest with you. That's, if they weren't willing to give me the same kind of consideration that, that a, another healthcare care provider as a physician or a PA would get, I don't want to work in your facility. You don't get the benefit of me. Sorry. And, and that was kind of the attitude that I had to have. And it worked out because I ended up landing in a couple of really good places. Um, and I'm really happy about that. But the recommendation about making uh, your offer in, you know, in year zero about something that you don't know isn't very intelligent. I would say wait and build into your agreement a time period that you're going to have some reflection on how productive you are, how efficient you're working and and be honest about that. You know, if it's if you're if you're only seeing eight people a day and you go in saying I want, you know, 120 grand a year and then give me another 30 as a as a uh, additional salary based upon seeing another two people, that's probably not realistic. So you have to go in with with some decent numbers of what's expected and what they're anticipating. And then also you'll be able to have a, a good reflection after a year or six months to say how productive you are and you might have more more negotiation power. Because they may say, Well geez, you you know, in the last year you rocked out three hundred and seventy grand for us and we're only paying you a hundred grand. We'll give you another thirty grand, no problem. And so you could have more negotiation power. Um, with that as well. So, but you gotta be honest about it. You can't, you can't just, you know, over inflate in numbers. It's all going to be in black and white. So it makes it easy. Um, the other thing you can do is to look at what the, um, productivity is and make sure that you, you tie your, and I'm, I'm going to use the word bonus again, even though it's not bonuses, but that's what everybody understands it as to buy your additional payments, um, based upon different things, right? Some people will do it based upon RVUs. Uh, Others will do it on, and those are WRVUs in in particular, and and I'll save that for another show Um, and more about RVU structure and payment reimbursement and stuff like that because I'm still learning a lot of that myself. Um, But then the other thing would be based upon revenue, which I don't suggest because that's how much they're bringing in so if you have a bad billing person, you don't want to be punished because someone's not doing their job in the billing department. I, I don't see that as a problem, but it could be, and it's just not worth it. And then another one would be based upon patient seen, and then another one's based upon how many, um, maybe how many patients per hour you see, or some, some type of, of um, efficiency structure. So just keep in mind that you can you can base it on different things. The most common that I've seen, at least in my area, of the ones that do do it, it's based upon numbers of patients seen. And it's usually averaged over a week. So, you know, if you see on average 20, 20 people a day for an averaged week, um, averaged throughout the year, then you will get an extra so many dollars per, per you know, month or whatever it is. And then the other thing is how often do you want to get your your additional payment, your additional salary. So my brother's a physician and I was talking to him about this a while ago. And the way he suggested that I try to negotiate because he's done this before was to Get your base salary and then every quarter you get basically, uh, you know, what would that be? Every three months, that's, um, that's six paychecks, right? So every three months you would get a seventh paycheck based upon the efficiency and productivity that you had that quarter. And that way it's not held to the end of the year and you get one giant lump sum and, you know, get the benefit of being able to use that throughout the year. So that way it makes it a little bit more controllable. I think if you went every month, that's probably too much saying every month you get a third, you know, paycheck for your bonus or your quote unquote bonus for that month. It doesn't seem to, to be as, as um, it'd be more of a tracking nightmare. It'd be too much administration, I think. So every quarter or at least every half of the year would probably be more reasonable. And um, that just kind of gives you a little bit of guidance, I think, on how I would do a quote-unquote bonus structure negotiation. Is to wait and then uh, just see what makes sense for your facility and for you. And it really depends on how they're billing. So, if everything you see, you know, one of my one of my jobs is in a um, in addiction medicine, and and you know, pretty much everybody gets the same exact billing code. Everybody's you know f 1120 I mean, it's 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 heroin addiction. It's the same. ICD-10 code. It's the same, pretty much the same billing code. So it really just, you can almost add up how many people you're seeing a day and do it based upon that. And, and it seems to be an easier way of doing it, but you can, you're going to know how much revenue you make or, or how much billings you have every quarter, especially if you're not billing incident two, because they have to provide that. It's all under your MPI number and all of your billing information is under you. So you should be able to see that and if you're billing people say no you're not allowed to see that as an as an APRN I would have a serious discussion with the CEO and say look this is my number I have every right to see this if you don't want to give it to me then that's fine but then you know we're going to have to renegotiate things next year and that that might not be helpful for you. <laughs> you know. So you can you can play hardball a little bit about that but uh, you know you got to pick your battles I guess. So That's my recommendation for the the bonus structure, um, quote-unquote. Again, I hate using the bonus word, so keep that in mind. Try not to call it that. And if we all try to avoid the bonus structure language, we can make changes in this and make it more acceptable that we can get based upon uh, revenue and, and, and add that in as part of our salary and productivity. So another thing that I wanted to talk quickly about, is, is relating only to Ohio advanced practice nurses. And this was something that came up on Facebook. I had this, a, a, a private message discussion with one of the, the moderators of one of the Facebook groups. It was really a good, good uh, back-and-forth exchange. And I wasn't trying to be sarcastic by any means in any of my comments on the Facebook posts. But there's a lot of confusion as to the new House Bill 216 implementation for um, our CPTs. And so I went through and read the new law. I, I literally went through and like read through the law and found the sections that apply to what we're, what's changing, and all they did with the certificate to prescribe and if you 're not in Ohio, you can on you know turn the volume down for about five minutes, but um, this this may be applicable to some states because they may be doing similar things. Uh, CTP is your certificate to prescribe in Ohio, we have two licenses we have a COA, which is your certificate of authority, and then you have a CTP license. You can have a COA, which just is a license that says you are an advanced practice nurse, but you're not able to prescribe until you get your CTP license. Well, the new law, House Bill 216, was passed and signed into law at the beginning of this year. It goes into effect in April 2017. The thing that's changed is that they have eliminated the certificate to prescribe and are now going to issue just one number. One license number instead of you applying for two. And they literally just said it's exactly the same price as it was for both licenses. Now that's, you know, they, they made the price the same um, as combining the COA and the CTP. Our new APRN license is going to be the equivalent of those two licenses together, jammed together. So the intent was just to make it simpler to have one number instead of two. And they make the requirements a little bit different to get your your new APRN license as far as number of hours of pharmacology. You got to have, I think it's uh, 45 hours, contact hours of pharmacology within the last five years and a whole bunch of things. Well, the arguments that were going on on Facebook were about those 45 hours for pharmacology and when they applied. And that's important. It, it you know, if you, if you don't have those hours and you have to make it up, that's may be something that you have to go grab and go get before, um, before you get your next license renewal. Because at the end of this year, they're going to jam everybody into this new license. So I think we get forced into it. Now, the argument that I had was regarding our externship hours. And it, and it was really um, just open-ended. There was nothing in the new law that said anything about the externship hours. Because the CTP in Ohio, the first 1,500 hours of you working has to be supervised by your collaborative physician or a delegated person, nurse practitioner can do some of them and 500 of those hours has to be direct supervision in other words they have to be in the building well the other thousand they can be out of the building which is really effectively the same thing as working as a APRN without that supervision but they're supposed to have a little bit more scrutiny of what you're doing they're supposed to be looking at clinical outcomes and comparing them with what you're doing and your treatment plans and all that good stuff and it's supposed to be a little tighter control And it's just, it's a, it's a safety net for the the people that aren't educated as to what we can do. And so the the question becomes, they struck the CTP and the CTPE out of the law, completely just struck it out. But nowhere in there does it say that they got rid of the 1500 hours of externship. Because the way that laws work is that typically when you have the three branches, and I'm just going to do this, this, this civics, quick civics lesson, you get your three branches. You have your legislative, your executive, and your and your judicial. The legislative branch made the law. That's the Ohio revised code. They went and wrote this law and they proposed legislation and finally it got signed into into, into into effect. The executive branch is the Ohio Board of Nursing. And they implement the law. They're the police of the of the the of the nursing world. They're policing the making sure that we're following the rules. Now, here's the problem. In the beginning of almost every legislation, they usually give, and this is almost any type of legislation, doesn't matter what it is. If there is an executive branch that has an agency that oversees that topic, they will defer to an administrative level to create the specific rules to meet the intent of of the legislative laws. So in other words, the legislative tells the executive branch, we don't know what you do, really, we just make generic laws. And you get to make more specific laws on how things happen. So in our specific instance, the law doesn't say anything about externship hours. So I don't know, and nor does anybody An Ohio uh, Advanced, uh, Association of Advanced Practice Nurses also says they don't know, and they, that there's no guidance on this, that the CTP goes away. Does that 1,500 hours go away? under the CTPE going away, or does that fifteen hundred hours is it intended to get rolled into whatever our new APRN license is going to be called? And then we're gonna to have to do still do the fifteen hundred hours for the people that graduate and you know apply for their license in April after, after April twenty seventeen, they can get their their APRN license, whatever they decide to call it, C N P or APRN or whatever. That was my, my question, was what, what do we do? And the only reason it matters to me is because I'm in the middle of that 1,500 hours, and if April comes around and I don't have to do 1,500 hours because the CTP is gone and the CTPE is gone, then I sure as heck don't want to have to have my physician in the office and me basically shadowing him to just meet the rules, the intent of the rules, because he doesn't necessarily work in the same office as me. And that can free me up to do more things sooner. So that's, that's the reason it matters to me. Now, the other thing about this is um, I asked this question and I got feedback from somebody that, that um, I, all intent and purposes seems very, very knowledgeable and has contacts with Ohio Board of Nursing. And the way that it was recommended to handle this was don't worry about it in July when they open up re-enrollment for your next licensing because it's due at the end of the year. They open it in July, July 1st or whatever it is. Apply as soon as you can in July. Get your new license number as your new APRN, your CTP goes away and everything else goes away. And then in theory, that 1,500 hours goes away, but the board hasn't said anything about those 1,500 hours. And so I feel very hesitant that I'm going to do it. So I'm still stuck in the 1,500 hours until I have guidance from the Ohio Board of Nursing. And and nobody wants to ask the question because they don't want to open up that can of worms for new APRNs coming in. And then all of a sudden now they have to do the 1,500 hours because somebody asks a question. But my philosophy on laws and rules is if you are given no guidance on something and you make a decision to go and do something that, you know, I don't know what they want me to do. And I did make a choice. And they come back and say, nope, you shouldn't have done that. That is not an excuse for you to get out of it. Ignorance of the law does not mean that you didn't violate a law, and especially with administrative laws where it's, a, it's vague and ambiguous, they can pick which way they want to go with it. If they want to say, you know what, you just practiced without, outside of the scope, and we're going to put you on you know some kind of restriction for another 1,500 hours or something, they can do that. And there's nothing that says that they can't from what I'm seeing. Now, there might be some administrative rule buried somewhere I can't find, but... You know, I would rather know the law, know the rules and go in with open eyes saying, you know, I would rather risk it. The likelihood of getting caught on this little thing is so low and it's such an ambiguous rule. I'm not really worried about it. That might make my choices a little bit different. But if they're clear cut, do your 1500 hours, even though the CTP is gone. You bet your sweet bippy. I'm going to keep doing my 1500 hours because the last thing I want to do is lose my license or get some kind of reprimand or anything like that especially when i'm just starting out that just it's it's not worth it but it could free me up to make make my life a little easier for the next you know 6 months So that's where I'm going with the APRN license thing. There was a whole bunch of other things about when the due dates are. Those are all pretty obvious to answer. And there's a flow chart through the Facebook group, the Ohio uh, Nurse Practitioner Facebook group that's in there. So if you guys are Ohio Nurse Practitioners, join that Facebook group. There's a lot of great information in there. And um, the the moderator, the administrator for that Facebook group, she's fantastic. She gave me comments right away, is answering questions, um, really involved. And she seems to really know her stuff. So um, join that group. It's a good group. The last thing I want to talk about, this is going to be pretty quick. Um, just because I'm doing addiction medicine, I want to just give people a quick update because a lot of people may not be aware of this, That, um, especially across the country where things are a lot different than Ohio. Last July, I believe it was June or July of 2016, there was a federal law that came out and it was called CARA. And I believe it was – and I'm not good with acronyms of laws. I usually forget what they exactly are. But here it's something like Comprehensive Addiction Rehabilitation Act of 2016. I think – I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And the CARA law came out and basically said um, similar how the Ohio law had stricken all the CTP. Well, instead what they did was they added in – they crossed out physician and they put in physician, physician assistant, nurse practitioner, and all, that, you know, all the advanced practice people and providers – so basically, it made it lawful by federal means for anyone that can write prescriptions for scheduled narcotics to be able to write for Suboxone. Um, that's the general consensus of what really happened for for practice. Now, there was a whole bunch of other things in that law. I did read that law as well last, you know, a couple months ago. And there was a lot of funding stuff in there and, and grants and things for programs. So you might be seeing... Suboxone clinics and Suboxone and rehabilitation, I don't like just Suboxone clinics, but with rehab associated with them, uh, popping up all over the place. And so this might be something that might be worthwhile as a PRN job or, you know, I'm not, you know, this super, this wasn't the reason I went to be an advanced practice nurse was to help people get off heroin but man, there's a need for it. So the, um, the 24 hour buprenorphine waiver training, I put a blog post about it that I was doing it. It's really informative. And I I encourage anybody to do this. You don't have to be working in addiction medicine to to really get something out of this, but it does give you the the pathophysiology of the, the addict mind. And especially in family practice and you've got people coming in and they're, they're on narcotics and they're, and in, in they're asking for more, they're coming in all the time, and they've got, you know, I, I know in my clinicals, I, it was one of the most frustrating things seeing the same guy coming back every other week because he needed, you know, more Percocets. Well, not saying that those people didn't have the issues that they were claiming, but eventually they're going to have to deal with the fact that they pretty much have an addicted brain right now. And, you know, once the pain resolves, they got to deal with everything else. So it was really a helpful, um, course. I'm about halfway through the 24 hours and so far I haven't been disappointed. It's well worth the time. It's a free course. I gave a link on the, to ASAM on my blog post. Uh, so I encourage you guys to take a look at that as well. The Carol law really opened things up now in Ohio. Here's the problem. And so Ohio people, if you're, if you're listening, The problem is, is that we have a formulary that we have to follow. And according to the formulary in Ohio, Suboxone is a do not or cannot prescribe medicine. However, the CPG, which is the board, the committee that's with the Board of Nursing, uh, that's made up of physician and pharmacist and you know, nurse practitioners and RNs. And so they've got this group of people, and they make decisions on what should and shouldn't be allowed by nurse practitioners in Ohio to prescribe. They made a comment in the previous meeting, which was in, I want to say, November, that said, at the next meeting, we anticipate that we will, prov- will approve suboxone for use of addiction treatment, medicated assisted treatment or M-A-T, and so that was kind of a big deal, right? Well, they were supposed to have talked about it. It was on the agenda in the fourth week of January. It was just like a week week or two ago, so it was end of January was the last meeting. Now, here's the kicker. Who knows when that meeting minutes or any actual amendment to the formula will be published. So it might be you know immediately. It might take six weeks. It might be three months like the next meeting minutes come out. But they have to approve the meeting minutes and all that good stuff. So there's an administrative headache in between. So for people like me that are in addiction and need to get started with, with Suboxone, we're kind of stuck in limbo for a little bit until they come back and fix the formulary. But we expect that they will, and, and that's the the hope. So if you are in Ohio and you're working in a family practice and you're collaborative, you know, bring this up with them. This might be something that you want to get into um, it sounds scary, but when you really think about it, it's a much safer medication than than most of the opioids that, that people are – the Schedule Twos that people are giving out for pain. So consider doing it. Uh, there's a huge need for it. There's tons and tons of people dying every day, especially in Ohio. Northeast Ohio, Stark County is horrible. Um, so I encourage you to look into it. That's all I have for today. This is just kind of a quick thing. Um, I hope you guys are getting something out of this. I'm getting some decent feedback about, Hey, good job. I like that. That was nice. Thanks for doing this, but I'm still not getting people challenging me. I want to hear people tell me I'm full of shit. I really do. I want somebody to just call me out and say powers. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. Here's the right thing. And I'm waiting for that to happen. And I'm hoping that it's going to happen because that means that people are engaged. And, uh, and if you, if you feel that way, don't gloss over, send me a comment. You can put it in the show notes below the show notes, um, comment there right on the page in the, in the website at the You can also email me Jeff at the and like, and share me on Facebook. It's getting out there, but, uh, you know, I noticed that if I don't do a show, there's like a big drop on like Google analytics, which is kind of neat, but still, still people seeing it. Um, I had about, oh, I don't know, 40 people listening yesterday, and uh, I didn't do any posts. So that's pretty cool for a weekend. Um, By by all means, get in touch with me. If you guys got show ideas, topics you want to discuss, any legal uh, malpractice issues, hypothetical questions, any of that stuff, shoot me a question. Let's see if we can make it work on the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon.